my name is Autumn Dixon, and this week is April 17th through the 23rd, and I am going to be focusing on the parable of the Good Samaritan. So just as a quick recap, parable of the Good Samaritan, there is a man who is traveling, and he was attacked by some thieves and left for dead. Well, a both a Levite and a priest, who were known to be Jewish elites, they saw the man, and they just passed by him and kept walking. Well, the Samaritan comes along, and the Samaritan stops and helps him, brings him to an inn, pays for care for him, basically goes above and beyond taking care of this man who had been attacked by thieves. Now, just looking at that simplistic summary alone can teach us a lot about how we should act. But when we can look at the context of how this story came about, of how this parable was given, I think we can glean so much more from it. So I want to talk about two aspects of this story and the context that can help us better appreciate this parable parable that Christ told. So the first aspect is that the Samaritans were enemies of the Jews, right? Now, the Jews had a lot of enemies, <laughs> right? They were often in history surrounded by enemies. There were lots of people that wanted to come in and take over their kingdom and destroy all their leaders and pillage their houses and their temple. And they were surrounded by enemies, right? Now, what was the crime of the Samaritans? What did the Samaritans do in order to warrant this title of enemy to the Jews? Their crime, the thing that the Samaritans had done wrong, was that they were apostate. They Now, the most general, I guess, definition of apostasy is when you've been a part of the gospel and then you left it, right? Very, very general, <laughs> general definition of apostasy. So the Samaritans were considered apostates. Now, to help you understand who the Samaritans are, because this plays in later, the Samaritans were Israelites. So Moses brings all the Israelites over. They settle after Moses dies. And we have this like kingdom, right? Well, as time goes on, the north and the south of this kingdom actually separate. And there's a schism. And the south, those are the Jews, right? The Jews. But the north was still part of the Israelites, right? They had been part of that original covenant people. Well, different people would come in and attack them, attack the different kingdoms. The Jews were taken away at one point, and a lot of the northern Israelites had also been taken away, but some of them had remained. And as people from other countries came and moved into that northern kingdom, the Israelites who were still there intermarried with them, right? They married outside of the covenant. They were marrying non-members, okay? And as they married these non-members, the gospel became corrupted a little bit as it went on. And... This was kind of the beginning of why the Jews hated the Samaritans. So the Jews get permission from Cyrus to come back to their homeland to the south. The Jews get permission to come back and build this temple. Well, what's so interesting about this is when the Jews were excited to build the temple, the Samaritans are like, hey, we want to help. Like, we're excited that we get to build the temple again. And the Jews are like, uh, -uh y'all are apostate. You do not get to be part of building the temple. And the Samaritans were not very happy about that. And they started to openly oppose the Jews, and they made it really hard for the Jews to actually rebuild the temple, 
They were actively opposing it. They were making it very difficult. And this was one of the main points in which this schism happened and this hatred happened between the Jews and the Samaritans, this hatred that kept getting passed on through generations. And so the Samaritans, they had married outside the covenant. The gospel had gotten corrupted along the way. And the Jews hated them for it. They scorned them as enemies. And they were so over the top in their scorn that the Jews would travel anywhere around the Samaritans, but they would not walk on Samaritan land because they were too good to walk near those apostates. They'd rather walk on Gentile land than go through this apostate land, right? They're over the top in how much they hated the Samaritans. Okay, so second context that I want to talk about in which this parable was given. Now, this wasn't just some parable that Christ was teaching people. It came about very specifically. So a lawyer comes to Christ and he, I picture him a little, you know, prideful as he's coming in when you read some of the words that are used to describe this lawyer. So he comes in and he's like, Christ, how do I gain eternal life? And Christ says, well, what does the law of Moses say? And he's like, it says to love God and love your neighbor. Christ is like, good job, go do that. And it says that the lawyer, actually, I'm going to read it. So this is Luke uh, chapter 10, verse, verse 29. This is how the lawyer responds. There we are. <laughs> verse 29. But he, so the lawyer, but he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Right? So when it says that he was willing to justify himself, what it was saying is that this lawyer, he, this lawyer who is so proud that he was a member of the covenant people and that he was this righteous Jew and he was so pure simply because he was a Jew, right? He wanted to justify himself and he only wanted to love who he wanted to love. He didn't want to have to love everybody, which is why he's saying, well, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love, right? He wanted to love only who he wanted to love. He wanted to be selective. This is the moment that Christ chooses to use this parable that features a Samaritan as the good guy, right? And Christ is very purposeful about this. This wasn't a coincidence. Christ didn't just randomly pick a Samaritan, right? He was very aware of how the Jews felt about Samaritans. He very specifically chose a Samaritan. He also very specifically chose the Levite and the scribe who passed by this man who had been hurt. This is the context in which Christ chooses to give this parable in which the Samaritan is cast as the good guy who goes above and beyond loving God and loving his neighbor, following the law of Moses by being a good person and taking care of somebody, right? Now, I want to zoom out from just this parable about the Samaritan to the context in which it was given, and I want to turn it into a parable within a parable, because I feel like there's more that we can glean when we look at this context in which it was given. Now, in this parable within a parable, we are the lawyer, right? We are the believer. We're the one who has been baptized. We're in the covenant, right? We are the one who believe that we have the true gospel, right? We're the lawyer in this situation. Now, maybe you don't have the same attitude as this lawyer. That's not necessarily what I'm trying to say. But we're the lawyer. We're the ones being taught by Christ about this story. 
Now, I want to talk about what the Samaritans represented to the Jews back then. And as I name some of these categories in which the Samaritans were to the Jews, I want you to think of modern day examples of who those people might be to us. Okay. So that we can get the symbols and the representation and we can learn from this parable within a parable. So who were the Samaritans to the Jews? The Samaritans were people who had left the covenant, who left the church, or they were descendants of people who had left the church. They had similar beliefs to the Jews. They actually did. They had similar beliefs to the Jews, but some of it was kind of different. They had slightly altered it, but they believed that they had the pure version of the gospel, not the Jews. They believed that they had the right answers about the gospel. They made life really difficult for the Jews, and they openly opposed the temple being built. They made it very difficult for the temple to be built. That is why it's such a big deal that Christ chose a Samaritan. So I want you to picture you're a part of this area and there's a temple being built in your area. And there's this one pastor who is actively opposing and he's part of this mega church and he's telling all the people that it's evil that this temple is getting built there. And they're all fighting against it. They don't want the temple built. They're all really, really unhappy about it. And they're making it really difficult for the church to build the temple there. And then I want you to imagine one of your local leaders getting up and telling a parable. And in this parable, he uses this pastor as the good guy, right? That's why it's such a big deal that Christ chose to use a Samaritan in this parable. Now, I don't want us to misunderstand this message, right? Is it Christ-like to oppose the building of the temple? Obviously, right? Christ wants us to build temples. Does Christ care whether we're part of the covenant, right? The Samaritans have left the covenant. Does Christ care? Is that what Christ is trying to teach? Obviously not. We need covenants. We need to be bound to the Savior by a power that is not innate to us, right? We have to have the priesthood power to bind us to Christ in these covenants so that Christ can take care of us. That is not the message, right? Because Christ had given the message to stay in the covenant, to build temples, right? All throughout the Old Testament, he's not disregarding that message. So if that is not the message of this story, what is the message? What is Christ actually trying to teach this lawyer and in turn teach us? The lawyer, we don't actually know what his response was necessarily. We don't know if Christ's parable enraged him or touched him. We don't know his response, but I do think that we can learn the most looking at the lawyer because that's who we are. He approached Christ with the question, who's my neighbor? Who do I have to love? Right? He wanted to justify himself. He wanted to love who he wanted to love. Do we only love who we want to love? Do we love our enemies? Do we love the enemies of the church? Do we love the people who can make it really difficult to live the gospel? Or do we separate ourselves from those people thinking we're better, right? The Jews used to like separate themselves like crazy away from the Samaritans. They wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans because they were too good for the Samaritans, right? If someone shares a different political opinion from us, or if they 
are really unhappy with the church and how we have treated women or how we've treated any different type of minority or group, right, in history, do we get really angry with them? Do we get frustrated with them? Do we love them? Now, we can argue all we want that we know who deserves God's wrath and who God is going to come down and tell them that they were wrong, right? But when it really comes down to it, we don't know. We don't know who's going to merit God's wrath. <laughs> we don't know what circumstances led other people to their specific beliefs. And regardless of whether they do merit the wrath of God, we have been commanded to love everybody, <laughs> even the people who merit the wrath of God. We, are, we have been commanded to love everybody. Loving is not some pious thing that you get to just be like, oh, I love everybody. I love my enemies, right? Truly loving somebody, the kind of loving that Christ would have us do, means seeking to understand our enemies. Enemies, right? It means being curious and kind and trying to find out who they are on a deeper level because people aren't black and white, right? They may have these messages that they're really frustrated with the church or they're frustrated or they're just... Some of our views may disagree very strongly, right? But people are multifaceted. So just as a couple of random examples, let's say there's an activist who is actively opposing temples because we don't allow gays to get married in the temple, right? And so they think that's super awful and they want to oppose all temples. This same activist that is fighting against what we believe to be our right to worship how we want is also a person who works for a nonprofit company for barely any money that reaches out to youth who are at high risk for suicide. Or your friend has left the church and they are always posting on social media all the time about how much they hate the church and how the church disappointed them and lied to them and how it's just blinding all of their people and how it's so hypocritical, right? But this same person and we're, you get barraged by this message and it can be hard to swallow, right? Because we love the church. We're grateful for what the church has done in our lives. And so it becomes very easy to judge this person by just the post that you're seeing right there. Well, little do you know, this person has also brought in their mother-in-law to come live with them because their mother-in-law is dying of cancer. And this person that we only see these messages that they're putting out on social media, well, they are spending a majority of their time cleaning up after and taking care of and doing all the unglorious tasks associated with caring for someone who's terminally ill. What I'm trying to say is we so often start to define other people, especially our enemies, who we think we're superior over, by one facet of their beliefs, of who they are, right? Not realizing that there's this entire other lifetime behind them. We may have some really strong disagreements, right? There are big things, big issues out there that we may disagree on a lot, but I think when we get to the other side and we can see everybody's hearts and we know how everybody feels, I think we will be shocked by how similar our hearts are, 
right? And that's what God judges. He judges our hearts. We still need the covenant to be bound to the Savior, but he judges us by our hearts and who we've become in our hearts. And I sincerely believe that a majority of people, whatever their message may be, are trying. They want the world to be a better place. They sincerely want that, right? Even if how it comes about is different than what we believe it should be, it is fairly likely that their heart wants the world to be a better place. Now, at this point in time that Christ gave this parable to this lawyer, the Jews were apostate, right? It's kind of funny because the Jews were like, oh, you're apostate. We're not going to be anywhere near you. But the Jews were apostate. And they had started to trust the opinions of Pharisees and scribes over prophets. And they had added all these things to the law of Moses that Christ hadn't added, right? They had added all of this gunk that adulterated the pure doctrine coming from the law of Moses that was supposed to point them towards Christ. Not to mention it, a lot of them were denying Christ who was standing right in front of them. So we have been promised in our day that there will not be another general apostasy, right? Christ will come and there's never going to be a time when the gospel is taken from the earth again. However, apostasy can kind of be a spectrum. <laughs> it can happen on an individual basis. And like I said, apostasy is when you believe in the gospel and you step away from it. And to an extent, we all do that. To an extent, we all deny the faith, right? When we willfully choose, right? We all have weaknesses, but when we willfully choose something different than what the gospel is telling us to do, we're denying the faith. When we choose to separate ourselves from, to withhold real love, right? Real love, not just saying we love our enemies, but truly trying to understand them. When we scoff and scorn, when we believe that we're superior in our views, we are denying one of the main tenets of our faith, which is to be kind and compassionate and loving towards everybody, including our enemies. We are being apostate when we choose to shun or scorn when we choose to believe that we are better because of some feeling or idea that we have to believe that we're better because of it. When we choose to ignore the fact that every single person on this earth is a child of God, a precious soul, right? When we choose to ignore the fact that every single person on this earth is our brother or sister, the Israelites, the Samaritans and the Jews, they were the same, from the same people. They had the same descendants. They were brothers and sisters. They were literally related. All the people around us, the people who frustrate the heck out of you, <laughs> the people who you feel like are so blind, whatever it may be, the people who actively oppose you and what you believe, they're our brothers and sisters and they are precious children of our Heavenly Father. And we should love them. They deserve that love. That's what Christ was trying to teach this lawyer. You don't get to just love who you want to love. You have to love everybody. That is why he chose to use the Samaritan in his parable. I am grateful for my Savior who reminds me of these things because heaven knows I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> 
I am grateful for a savior who is willing to forgive me when I fall short often, who is willing to help me change step by step, who is willing to help me see how not great I am, (laughs) who is willing to help me see other people more clearly. The Savior gives these commandments, but he's also willing to help us live these commandments. And I am grateful for him for that. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.